This evening, we're, uh, this morning, we're going to take a uh, break from our series on the book of Revelation and uh, look at a passage which does proclaim this glorious truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Please turn with me to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians in your New Testaments, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we are going to read verses 12 through 19, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Verses 12 through 19. (coughs) Let's now uh, hear this, the living word of the living God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. Uh, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins." Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This ends this reading in God's holy word. Let's now once again look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we have just read together your holy word and it is now... Lord, our prayerful desire uh, that this Easter Sunday service would not merely be a matter of ritual or ceremony or something simply that we do that we might move on to other festivities of the day, but rather, O Lord, that this proclamation of Jesus Christ risen from the dead might be the very center of this day and indeed of every day that we live. Lord, transform us even, that we might with fresh eyes behold the glories of our risen Savior, that we might rejoice in Him and live all of our moments and all of our days. For the one who not only loved us and gave Himself for us, but also rose for us, bringing us into everlasting life with him. Do this now through the proclamation of your holy word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. In recent uh, decades, there have been uh, the rise of almost a new kind of genre in historical writing, and that is the writing of what we might call kind of alternative histories or sort of counterfactual histories, uh, books which kind of answer the question, well, what if? What if things hadn't gone 
quite in the way that they had. What if there never was a Martin Luther had, who had been born? What would have the religious landscape of the 16th century and all the years after that looked like? What if, what if Britain had decided not to tax the colonies so heavily? What might have happened? What if Germany had won World War II? How would have this changed things in the world in which we live? Well, Paul, in the verses that are before us, engages in a similar kind of question. And yet it's a question about something even far more significant than any of the things that we just asked. Paul, in this passage, asks this question, what if Jesus had never been raised from the dead? What if Jesus had remained in the tomb? What then? Well, why does Paul ask this question? What is it that led Paul to ask this question in this letter of the first Corinthians? And it had to do with a certain position that certain uh, people in the Corinthian church had taken. That is, that some had begun to deny the possibility of resurrection at all. It was really a concession uh, kind of to the uh, worldly Greek mode of thought, which would have been prevalent in uh, first century Corinth. Corinth, of course, was a Greek city. And it was common in Greek philosophy of the day to say, well, we were made up of both body and soul. The body, people said, was wicked, basically, and it was mortal. The soul, on the other hand, was basically good, and it was immortal. And really, the highest desire that anyone would have would be to escape this bodily existence and to enter into a kind of higher uh, immortality uh, of, uh, of the soul. And it appears that this way of thinking it had some influence in uh, Corinth, in much the same way that worldly philosophy uh, often has influence, sadly, and impacts the church. There are those uh, today who, in concessions to the ways of thought uh, that we live in today, uh, try to accommodate Christianity to the spirit of our age. Uh, people who deny the Genesis account of creation, or who deny the possibility of miracles, or who deny the Bible's account of morality, who, are, who deny the possibility of life after death. And they do each of these things sort of in uh, the name of what can possibly be believed uh, uh, today. That's kind of what was going on in Corinth. And what Paul does in this letter is say basically this, that if you want to go down that route and deny that there is any resurrection, then what logically follows from it is that Jesus Christ is not raised. And Paul is saying, if Jesus Christ is not raised, there is no Christianity at all. That's the argument. And it's one that we need to hear with fresh ears today. That if Jesus Christ were not raised from the dead then there ultimately is no Christianity at all. Well, I want us 
uh, to consider this line of thought and Paul's line of thinking really under four different uh, headings uh, today. Again, the question is, what would, it, what, uh, what would be the case if Jesus were not raised? If Jesus were not raised, Paul goes on to say four different things. If Jesus was not raised, first of all, the gospel, uh, uh, the gospel would be empty. Uh, secondly, the apostles would be false witnesses. Third, you would still be in your sin. And fourth, you would not possess eternal life. If Jesus was not raised, the gospel would be empty. The apostles would be false witnesses. You would be still in your sin. And you would not possess eternal life. And by looking at these things, I hope you and I will see the glories of this truth that Jesus Christ is indeed raised from the dead. So Paul asks that question, what if there were no resurrection of the dead? What if Jesus was not raised? And the first thing we see in our passage is that would mean then that the gospel would be empty. We see this in verse uh, 14. So again, verses 12 and 13 basically say, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Or again, that point is made in verse 16. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. But then under verse 14, he gives this first implication. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. No Christ's resurrection, then the apostles' preaching is in vain. The people's faith is in vain. This word vain is an interesting one. You might remember uh, some of those opening words, for example, of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. What was the preacher in Ecclesiastes doing? He was saying, well, in a life without God, everything, if there is no God, is vanity. That is, it is empty. It is useless. It is insubstantial. There's nothing to it. Well, here Paul is saying, in a world where Jesus is not risen from the dead, then the gospel message and your faith is likewise empty, useless, insubstantial. There's nothing to it at all. If the tomb still contains the body of Jesus, Paul says, I have absolutely nothing to preach to you. If Jesus is still in the tomb, we have no message to bring. And the reason is, is that the gospel message, the good news that was proclaimed, is a good news that contains this message of the resurrected uh, Lord Jesus Christ. We actually see this earlier in 1 Corinthians 15. If you allow your eyes to go back a few verses, look with me at verses 1 to 4. Paul there says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, 
which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So in other words, Paul says, what is the gospel? What is the gospel that saves you? And he says, this gospel has everything to do with the incarnation, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the substance of the gospel message. And we read that actually earlier uh, uh, as we would go through the, 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 the gospel, uh, the, the four gospels, but especially the book of Acts. And there we see that the sum and substance of the message which the apostles proclaimed had everything to do with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So Acts chapter 2. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, beginning in verse 23, that this Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was a message concerning the death and resurrection of Jesus. Or Acts chapter 3 and verse 26. Uh, when Paul preached in Solomon, or when Peter preached in Solomon's portico, he said, "God, having raised up His servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness." Or Acts chapter four and verse ten, Peter and John before the council. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. It was Jesus crucified and risen. Or Acts 4 and verse 33. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's what they did. They proclaimed the good news of the resurrection. Well, if we move from the book of Acts to the epistles that the apostles wrote, there also we find the same emphasis upon the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Or to give you another example, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews at the end in chapter 13 and verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good. It was Jesus who was resurrected. Or 1 Peter 1.3 that was read as our call to worship today. Okay? That God has caused us uh, uh, to be born again, um, uh, to be born again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Or Ephesians 1.20, which speaks of God's power by which he raised uh, Jesus uh, from the the dead. Or the book of Revelation, which of course is a whole vision of the uh, resurrected and ascended Christ. Friends, I would spend the next the whole rest of the sermon just going through passage after passage which shows that the resurrection of Christ was central to the apostolic gospel. And friends, it was this message of Christ crucified and risen that was proclaimed by the early apostles and that changed their lives and that changed the lives of many people and indeed affected uh, the entire world. And this shows us that the gospel, the good news proclaimed, is good news, first of all, about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. You take away Christ resurrected and you have no gospel at all. This is important because uh, the day and age in which we live, many try to change what the gospel is all about. Try to put the focus on us rather than, first of all, on what God has done in Christ. Friends, the gospel is not try to be a better person. Dear friends, the gospel is not just become the authentic you. The gospel is not try to live a good life Try to have values in your life. Prize the things that are important. You know, appreciate the good things of life. Those are the kinds of messages that the world sends. Those are the kinds of messages that many so-called churches are even trying to send and say, this is what it's all about. Friends, that's not what it's all about. The gospel is that we are sinners and God has worked in human history to send his own son who, was di- who died and rose again for our salvation. Uh, J. Gresham Machen, the uh, great um, Presbyterian hero of a hundred years ago, said this thing, and there were words that, that ring true today too. He says this, If any one thing must be clear, it is that Christianity at the beginning was founded upon an account of things that had happened, upon a piece of news, or in other words, upon a gospel. Christianity is founded upon what God has done outside of us in human history, in a real place in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and what God has done there is what impacts us and changes our lives today. Friends, it is the gospel. And apart from this resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no gospel. There is no faith. So if Jesus were not raised, the gospel would be empty. There would be nothing to say. Second thing, if Jesus were not raised, secondly, the apostles would be false witnesses. We see this in verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God 
because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. And here the Apostle Paul is making clear that this resurrection of Jesus Christ was a public event that was publicly testified to. That's what the apostolic witness is about. It was that they testified to this fact that Jesus Christ is in the tomb no longer, but that he is risen unto new and triumphant life from the grave. And if Jesus were not raised, then it means that Paul and all of the rest of the apostles are liars and deceivers, and there is nothing to the witness that they gave. Dear friends, Paul stakes a lot on this public witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Look with me again earlier in chapter 15, verses uh, 5 through 9. Earlier we said that uh, we read verses 1 through 4. But then in verse 5, after saying that on the third day he was raised in accordance with the scriptures, listen to this, that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, Cephas is Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And so in those verses here, uh, he gives a list of those who had uh, become witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't just to one of them or to two of them, but it was to a whole multitude who publicly testified to the fact that Jesus Christ had risen from uh, the dead. How could there be so many witnesses to something that supposedly did not happen, according to, to, to many? What other explanation could be given? Well, some might say, well, could it be that all of these witnesses themselves were deluded, that they had a vision of Jesus, Jesus whom they loved, who they wanted to be alive, and they had a vision. Well, that possibly could be the case if it was just one of them or two of them or three of them in isolation, one from another. But what the account gives is a whole slew of people, even 500 people at one time, who saw the Lord Jesus Christ. Many, Paul says, who are alive and you can speak to today. Friends, 500 people do not have the same vision all at an identical time, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it wasn't that they were deluded or that they had this vision in this way. Well, uh, some people might say, well, could it be that the apostles uh, uh, simply made all of this up? That uh, words are cheap. Could they not say, oh yeah, we all, we saw Jesus Christ. He's alive. Well, friends, if the apostles had all decided just simply to make a story up about the Lord Jesus, would not the Jewish authorities, who quickly wanted to stamp out Christianity, would they have not gone to the tomb and just simply dug out the body of Jesus and said, here it is. There's nothing to your story. That, of course, didn't happen. 
Others might say, well, perhaps the apostles uh, engaged in a conspiracy. It's based on a deception and a lie. That is, they stole the body of Jesus themselves. And they hid the body of Jesus. And then they began to proclaim to everyone that this Jesus was one whom they saw and he was now alive. Well, that's interesting uh, to say, but uh, the question that I have is simply this. that The rest of the apostles' lives does not seem to be consistent with that kind of deception and that kind of lie. Because if you remember what happened in the rest of the apostles' lives was that they lived a life largely of suffering, of being persecuted, and every single one of them died ultimately the death of a martyr. They gave themselves for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I simply ask you personally, would you, as it were, give up your entire life for something that you knew was a mere story and a sham? I wouldn't. And neither did these apostles. They have all the marks of sincerity of belief that they witnessed the Lord Jesus raised from the dead. And so, dear friends, the point that Paul is making is this, is that this is something that was publicly testified of. That the Lord Jesus Christ then, risen from the dead, formed then the basis of the apostles' teaching and ministry. Their eyewitness account then became the very basis upon which they proclaimed the resurrection and performed miracles to show that Jesus Christ was uh, still alive. And what they did was they called people to acknowledge that this is true and to submit their lives to the King of Kings. And friends, how important it is that we recognize this. That the resurrection is one that is based upon eyewitness account. It is true, Jesus did rise from the dead. He was seen. He was spoken to. This is a public event that occurred. This is, in other words, the gospel, dear friends, is a proclamation of what is absolutely and most certainly true. You know, in our own house, um, to give an illustration, um, I grew up as a Pittsburgh Pirates baseball uh, fan. Now, the Pittsburgh Pirates are, are terrible. They're, 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 they, they have been for a number of years, and I think that's in a large measure of why all my kids have abandoned uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates as their baseball team, and they've begun to root for, oh, of all teams, the Atlanta Braves. Well, friends, the Atlanta Braves won the World Series last year. And you had to know how to choke over that almost to say that Atlanta Braves won the World Series last year. Now, what I could have done was I could have said to my kids, I will hear none of that in this home. You dare not say that the Braves won the Series. In fact, in this home, we're going to say that the Pirates have won it all. They're champs. Way to go, Bucks! right? We could say that. We could have done that. But friends, it wouldn't be in accord with what reality is. The fact is, no matter how much I want to say the Pirates won the series last year, the Braves won it all. They did. They did. 
That's the reality of it. And dear friends, there's a sense in which the resurrection of Jesus Christ works in that same way. This world is going to go on in denial of the fact that he rose from the dead. They're going to ignore the testimony of these eyewitnesses. They're going to uh, 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 not think about the way that the scriptures were fulfilled and the ministry and the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ and the gospel that the apostles proclaimed. But dear friends, that does not change the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. And friends, when we go to others, we go to them with this message, not just, oh, I want you to adopt my religion, or I want you to adopt my values, or I want you to adopt my, my views, as if we just kind of have this whole smorgasbord of religious choices in front of us, and just choose the one that suits you, and I'll choose the one that suits me. That's not evangelism. Evangelism is this. It is that the God of heaven has given his son who died on the cross for our sins and he has exalted him to the highest place. And this Jesus is Lord of all. And friends, it is the duty, but more than the duty, it is the joy of each one of us to submit ourselves and to bow down to King Jesus and to know new and everlasting life in him. Friends, that's the gospel message. It's a fact. It's reality. He is exalted. So, dear friends, as Paul considers this possibility, what if Jesus were never raised? He says, if Jesus were never raised, that would mean that all the things that we really did witness, that we really did see, that we really did experience as eyewitnesses, that those things would be found to make us false witnesses uh, to God. Of course, that can't be, he says, because we did meet with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Let's move on from here. The third point, what if Jesus was not raised from the dead? Thirdly, he says this, if Jesus was not raised, you would still be in your sin. You would be still in your sin if Jesus were not raised. This really gets at the whole point of why Jesus even came into this world. Why did why did God sent His only Son into this world. Friends, it is because you and I are sinners. And there is no way for you and me to be restored to life with God apart from the giving of His only Son to die on the cross and be raised from the dead. And friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is part of that, is, is one aspect of his saving work, which means that you and I can be saved from our sins. Now you might ask the question, well, why is the resurrection important? I, I know that the death of Jesus Christ is important to save us from our sins. Did he really have to be raised from the dead as well? And the answer is yes, he did. Really, his death and resurrection are two parts of Kind of that same work. I mean, it's his saving work, and his work is a is a whole. But what is what his resurrection does? His resurrection is, as it were, the confirmation or the guarantee that the Father has accepted the sacrifice of His own Son. That is, that the Son didn't die for His own sin; He had none, and that the Son did not die in vain. But rather by the Father raising him from the dead, it is as if it is as the declaration that what Jesus Christ has done is sufficient to satisfy 
for the sins of all of my people. He is raised as, this, as uh, uh, the, the Father's, um, uh, uh, again, uh, declaration of, uh, the, of his complete work. But more than that, friends, Jesus is raised as the one who now is a living Savior for all who trust in him. That is, Jesus now, on the basis of his completed work of salvation, is for us a high priest who is ever at the right hand of the Father, appearing for you and for me. He is the one who is right now making intercession for us. And he is now, through the work of the Holy Spirit, dwelling in union with believers. So that to come to faith in Jesus Christ is not simply to remember or to have faith in the, mere, the historical event of his death, it is, but it is also to enter into a living relationship with a living Savior. And it is from this living Savior that benefits continue to flow uh, to all believers. He stands in heaven before the throne of God. He is our representative. He is the one who uh, uh, ever appears for us. As we sing sometimes, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads uh, for me. Christ Jesus lives, and because He now lives, I am delivered both from the condemnation and the power of sin. I'm united to this living Savior, and because I belong to Him, and Jesus belongs to me, His death now uh, uh, cancels uh, my sin. My condemnation has been laid upon Him. His righteousness has been given to me. And friends, not only am I freed from sin's condemnation, I'm freed from sin's power by the living virtue that flows uh, from the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. This is why, even in the book of Romans, it points to our justification as being tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 4 and verse 25 says these words, that, uh, or beginning in verse 24, it will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and He was raised for our justification. That is, you and I are justified. We are accounted righteous in His sight. We are no longer in our sins because we have a living Savior who was raised for our justification. So apart from his resurrection, if he, did, if he was not raised, the answer, uh, or Paul says, you would still be in your sin. But the fourth thing that Paul says is this. If Jesus was not raised, you would not possess eternal life. If Jesus was not raised, you would not possess eternal life. You can look with me now at verses 18 and 19. It was actually verse uh, 
17 that's, that told us about, I, I don't think I read that verse earlier, uh, but it's verse 17 that says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That was the point we just made. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And here we are simply saying this, that it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that brings new and everlasting life to his people. If Christ is not raised, then death would remain that one unbeatable terror that comes to all people. That is, that there would be no escape and no victory over death at all if the Lord Jesus Christ was not raised. You might go on living life, trying to be happy, trying to make your way in this world, but at the end of it is going to come death. And it's going to come to all of us. And the question is, is there anyone, is there anything more powerful than death? Is there anything that will enable us to live even though we die? And the only answer that can be given is in the Lord Jesus Christ and His resurrection from the dead. Well, at this point, somebody might say the question, why did Jesus need to be raised in order to bring us new life. Couldn't we just have eternal life by having, well, our in much that old in much as the Greeks used to say, can't our simply our souls go on and live with God and yeah, our bodies lay in the grave. There doesn't need to be a resurrection in order to have life. Well, that's confused thinking for this reason. It is that with the entrance of Sin into this world came the curse, and part of the curse was the death of our human bodies and the separation of body and soul. That's part of the curse of this fallen world. So, dear friends, Jesus Christ has come to remove the curse. And if he has come to remove the curse, it means that he has come to destroy the power of death and to bring life to our bodies which will die. That's what Jesus Christ has come uh, to do. And so, he says, uh, if Christ is not risen, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And the point is, is that in Jesus Christ, if he is risen, that he is risen as the, what, the, what we call the first fruits of those who are being uh, redeemed. That is... Christ's resurrection is the first part of the resurrection that all of us who belong to Jesus are going to experience on that last day. That as Christ rose, just as the first part of the harvest is brought in, so we also are going to rise like Him on the day of Jesus' return. The rest of the harvest is going to be brought in and you and I are going to be ushered into an endless existence in body and soul, reunited, no longer under the curse in which we are going to dwell in His presence forever and ever. In other words, 
the coming of Jesus, the saving work of Jesus, is that which is going to eliminate all the effects of the curse for those who belong uh, to him. Uh, That is the good news. And so it means that you and I as Christians, if you are one who believes in Jesus Christ, you are able to live now with that sure and certain expectation of everlasting life with a resurrected body in His presence forever. And the reason is, it is because Jesus has risen from the dead. And this is what he goes on to say in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I find this expression interesting uh, because there, there's a sense in which I say, well, actually in this life, um, there are wonderful benefits to being a Christian even in this life. There's a peace that we experience that the world doesn't experience. There's a joy. There's the knowledge of our forgiveness of sins. Okay? There's a comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit. There are blessings upon blessings that come to Christians in this life. So why does Paul say, well, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied? And I think he says it for this reason, that all of those blessings of this life that I just mentioned are blessings which are a foretaste of blessings which are going to be ours for eternity. And what makes comfort real comfort is that it's a comfort I'm going to experience forever and ever. What makes joy real joy is that it's the beginnings of a joy that I'm going to experience in His presence forever. What makes the knowledge of my forgiveness of sins so precious now is the knowledge that my sins are going to be forgiven forever and ever, and I'm going to dwell in His presence always. All of the blessings which you and I experience now are blessings which are, what the theologians would say, eschatological blessings. They're blessings that are experienced now, but will be experienced even more so in the future. And it's that prospect of even greater future blessing that makes me so happy now. And that's what he's saying here. Is if Jesus Christ were not raised, you would have no future at all. None. But because He is raised, you have a future that is beyond description. Glorious and grand. And that gives you hope in this life and for the life to come. Well, dear friends, Paul gives us a kind of alternative history in these verses. He wants us to think, what if Christ were not raised? What would it be? And I hope you say, it would be absolutely terrible. Well, can I gladly proclaim to you today that on that third day after His crucifixion, the women went to the tomb, and Peter and John went there as well, and the body of Jesus was not found in it, because He was raised with power, from the grave, and he lives forever as the Savior and head of his precious blood-bought people. He lives as our resurrected Savior today. And because he does, all of these blessings of which we've spoken are ours in abundance in Jesus Christ. And can I call upon any of you here today, if you do not know Jesus or are trusting in Him, none of these blessings of the resurrection are yours. 
They come to those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to have faith in Jesus Christ? It means simply this, that you acknowledge that you're a sinner and you ask him to be your savior and you trust in him. If you want to know more about what that means, talk to me afterwards, please. There's no conversation that I would rather have with you because there's no life more wonderful than that of knowing Jesus Christ died and risen for me. Might each one of you come to know that. Let's pray together. Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for this glorious gospel hope of Jesus Christ raised in power from the dead. Encourage our souls by this truth, we pray. And Lord, might we rejoice in worshiping the risen King. We pray in Christ's name.